This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. Shabbat Tov, everyone. It's Rabbi Dr. Jack Cohn from the Dating Shalom Bayis series. I hope you had a wonderful Shabbos, a great Shabbat. There's nothing like an exhilarating Shabbat to rest, to rest physically, to rest spiritually. I'm tackling the subject tonight of what's life been like in quarantine, as many of us, if not all of us, are in uh, uh, in homes with our families and our children, and it gets a little bit stifling and can also get a little bit of conflict. So I put together to share tonight some of my toolbox tips of what's the best way to ensure that we maintain that shalom bias, that marital harmony, and especially with our children, so that we can come out of this better individuals. So here we go. Before coronavirus, you had a certain relationship with your partner, with a, that being your wife, your spouse, your husband and your wife. Now suddenly you, have, you find yourself asking the following questions. Do I have to share all my thoughts with him or her? Do I have to spend all my free time with him or her? Why are they always so slow to get ready? Some of the things that you took for granted because we had busy lives before Corona. Now we have, to, we have a time to do a lot of thinking. Why does he or she always go out of the breakfast room without even noticing me? I can't believe they know nothing about housework. I don't understand how they can drop their clothes all over the floor. These are some of the thoughts that are going through our heads now in this time period. It seems that she or he is more concerned about their friends than me since they're on the phone with them all day. Or it seems that she would rather talk to her mother than me. Is he ignoring me? Is she ignoring me? Some of the questions that are delving into our heads. Why are they so insensitive to my needs? You know, when you're not cocooned in an environment that seems a little bit tight or, or can be closed, you start to wonder and sometimes the elbows start to rub. Millions of these some worrisome questions enter our minds and we wonder, why didn't I realize that he or she is so self-centered? Why didn't I realize how mad that she can, he or she can get? Why did I ignore all the times they made excuses for not doing what I asked them to do? And it goes on. You had always decided where and what to do, but now he or she seems to be taking control. He or she used to love when you spoke up, and now they seem to hate when you talk. He or she seems sloppy, and you always have to pick up after them. Her wardrobe may be gorgeous, but there doesn't seem to be room for your clothing. Suddenly you start to notice the things you never noticed because you go to work, and you stay there late, or you have obligations at shul or in, in school, now that we have a lot of time to see and we notice particular things that we n- were never on our radar screen. He's warm and gentle, but he's to- his tossing and turning all night seems to bother you. She was on time for every you know thing that we needed, but now she's always coming down late or not helping me when I need her. He used to laugh at all my jokes, but suddenly he's questioning whether are they appropriate or not. Both of you used to enjoy eating together, but now suddenly you ha- you're irritable with each other. He, he or she used to make you feel special, but now she acts like you're there to serve her. It sounds familiar? He always brought out the best in you, but now you find him irritating. These are the, some of the issues that can happen in a dynamic when we're in corona quarantine. And these situations increase the tension between the couples. Most married couples will tell you that marriages work. You have to work at it. Although people may want to work on changing the other person's behavior, the spouse's behavior, what they really need to do is work on changing their own behavior. As we know, the only person in this world that you can change is yourself. Learning to accept and to adjust to the spouse's needs and expectations. 
Behavior modification, which means that you have to work on yourself and your muster. This is the time that you'll excel and shine. And let me share a beautiful Devar Torah with you. Last week, we had a telephone conference for all the parents in Yeshiva Gedolo, or the rabbinical yeshiva of higher education that my son attends in Lakewood. And the Rosh Yeshiva gave a fantastic story, and he said that his father was one of those students who migrated with the Mir Yeshiva to Shanghai, China, in the middle of World War II. And his father tells him that the learning that he did while the bombs were falling in Shanghai was some of the best learning that he ever did in his life. And he compared today's situation to that Shanghai. And he said, this, this coronavirus era will be our Shanghai. Can you polish yourself now? Can you learn now? Can you get along now? Because the kind of accomplishment and the growth that you will sustain now will be with you forever. Just like his father's Gemara that he said that he learned in Shanghai never left him forever. This is your opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, to really turn out to be a star. To really learn how to control yourself. To, to work on your midos. To improve and shine as a human being. As Ravik Damila, my dear Rebbe, would say, the greatest expectation and the greatest results from men and women rubbing elbows together is like shining silver. It polishes and becomes brilliant. This is our opportunity to become brilliant. Again, behavior modification requires effort and time, but the reward is that you'll even have a greater understanding between each other and a more deeper relationship and a better marriage. And especially more emotional intimacy. If you are in your marriage and you're cognizant of these difficulties and the potential reward, you'll deal calmly with the struggles that we have now in Corona Town. You'll enjoy the bonding that's taking place on a Shabbat table. Or when you sit down, for example, how many of us are having dinners and lunches and breakfasts with our families when it was unheard of before Corona? And you'll find your relationship is continuing on the up. Of course, this must be true of both partners. If one partner is unwilling to do any of the work that the marriage requires, the effort for the other partner may be too great and unproductive. I have to share an incredible, frightening story that I want to share with you. Something happened. I got a phone call, maybe about a week ago, about an individual who's been married 30-some-odd years and he's contemplating divorce. He's obviously been quarantined with his wife. He shared with me some shocking news, and that is that in 25 years, his wife hasn't called him by his first name. She hardly ever says thank you to him. And the relationship has spiraled out of control, even though he tries very hard to keep at it. But she's the kind of individual who's sarcastic and bitter and doesn't make any effort to change. And this is unfortunately the situation that happens when one partner wants to help and the other doesn't. And it could be vice versa, that the woman is the right one and the man is the wrong one. I don't mean to just pinpoint the man. But I want to share an interesting of our Torah. The Mahal Pag was one of the brilliant thinkers of the Renaissance era in Czechoslovakia. It says, man was named Adam after the word Adama, which is ground. Land represents potential, the ability to grow, bringing them to fruition. Like the land, Adam is unique. We are unique and that Adam represents pure potential with the ability to bring forth a distinct type of growth, the growth of his own perfection. As the Mesil Sisharim tells us, we are here in this world to seek that perfection, to work on ourselves and to cultivate the best and to try to actualize the most potential that we have in our midos. Man is pure potential waiting to be realized. Coronavirus quarantine is this laboratory that Hashem has given us to shine. The challenge of marriage is to create a mighty arena in which our potential for growth is absolutely limitless. One is never too young to learn skills that will prepare you for a good marriage. If parents and educators can teach ourselves the importance of what it is to to be happily married, we've gone a long way in learning to become better individuals. So, how do we deal with differences? Expect to have differences. First of all, be realistic. The Metzius is there's going to be issues that we're not going to all agree on. You must agree to disagree. The goal of marriage is not to think alike, but to think together. 
Research has shown that every happy, successful couple has 10 areas of things they don't agree about. So expect that. There are 10 areas of incompatibility or disagreements that will never be resolved. So take that into consideration before you decide, oh, she's not for me or he's not for me. Disagreements in a marriage should be viewed as a challenge to welcome and embrace change. Successful couples learn to deal with their disagreements, living life around their disagreements. They love each other in spite of the areas of difference, developing an understanding and an empathy for their partner's positions. See the other person's perspective. Try to put your per- yourself into their shoes. Indeed, they gain comfort in the knowledge that they know their partner and know which issues they disagree on and must learn to manage. I know the areas I don't agree on with you and I'll deal with it. These couples also understand if they switch partners, guess what? Your partner, your problems are not going away. It's called the six and a half a dozen rule. You'll just swap your problems. These couples understand that if they switch partners, all they'll get is 10 new areas of disagreement, if not more. And sadly, the most destructive thing will be about the children who are the korbanas, who are the sacrifices, whose lives are destroyed from this unfortunate consequence. Now, most arguments actually are protests against disconnection. Underneath all the frustration and anger when someone, when a spouse fights with their other half, they're asking each other, can I count on you? Will you respond to me when I need you? Do you value me? Do you accept me? The anger and the attacks, the criticism and the demands are really a cry to be loved. Please be here for me is what they're they're telling you. Care and respond to me. Help me establish a sense of a safe connection. Perhaps I can read you a story, or rather a question and an answer, recently asked in this corona time, that will really flush out the issue. A man writes a wonderful letter, a very interesting letter, to a therapist. I want to share this with you because I found it very telling. And he says like this, Dear Dr. X, I'm frustrated with my wife. Actually, I'm really angry at her. She's not there for me during the recent nightmare I went through. My father was hospitalized in isolation with coronavirus and was very, very seriously sick. Thank God he's back home and on his way to a full recovery. But I don't feel that my wife was there with me enough during those very trying and weeks of turmoil. Don't get me wrong. My wife asked me how my father was doing multiple times a day. She interacted with various members of my family to find out what she could do. She noticed that I was a shell of a person who could not really function. So she picked up a lot of balls that I dropped. My wife is my best friend. I expected her to be sensitive to my desperate emotional needs during this crisis, with my father in the hospital suffering from coronavirus being intubated. I needed her to ask me questions about myself like, how are you? How are you feeling? How are you managing with this terrible situation? Let's talk. Can you tell me how you're doing? She was so focused on doing things to help and to solve problems that she didn't focus on me and taking care of my emotional needs. I'm upset at her. I feel this created a gap between us that's hard to fill. Can you help me? Response. I can only imagine how you feel, she said to him. It sounds like you were overwhelmed with concern about your father's condition. You were especially stressed since you could not visit him in the hospital to be with him during this terrible time. Your father was deathly ill and you did not know what each day would bring. The emotional pain was enormous and we really, really sympathize for you. You wished you could have shared your tremendous emotional burden with your wife. Your wife was focused on the practical aspects of the crisis. She was very helpful in pragmatic ways, but not emotionally. You felt like you were emotionally running on empty and you wanted your wife to fill some of that and she came up short. There are important points to realize here that can impact your relationship now and in the future. It can be helpful to understand why your wife might have been overlooking the glaring needs so that you can now narrow the divide between you 
and your Eishas Chayel, or your wife. People have different ways of dealing with stress or trauma. You have to understand that, ladies and gentlemen. This is a million dollar point. People have different ways of dealing with stress and trauma. Some people find it helpful to talk out their thoughts and emotions, which is what you do. It can be particularly therapeutic to express their emotions to someone they trust, who can understand them and support them. People who cope this way find talking about their feelings to be cathartic and comforting. On the other hand, some people find it easier to translate their grief into practical actions. Just get the job done, feed the kids, do the laundry. They're not so into emotional. It might seem like they're doing those activities to solve the issues the traumatic situation creates. Do not be fooled. They have a much greater purpose. These activities provide a way to translate the sadness and tension into pragmatic things to do. They want to keep busy. In a deeper sense, what they're doing is transforming the feeling of powerlessness created by the difficult situation into a feeling of being in control. By being busy and keeping busy, they feel like they're in control. And that's important during a stressful time like now that we're in. Instead of feeling helplessness, they, help, they, they seek to be able to do things to improve the situation somewhat, which can be greatly empowering. It can sometimes be a helpful antidote to stress and trauma. Another way that people cope is that they avoid thinking about their stress and trauma. It's almost as they open a drawer in their brain and they file the pain away in a mental folder. They don't want to know from it. People who prefer to cope this way do not want to talk about their emotions. Talking actually takes, makes it more pain, difficult for them to manage the pain. It's important to realize that people can incorporate more than one method of coping into their experiences. And if you come to understand that, you'll come to realize that you and your wife deal with the problem differently. You use different kalim or vessels in which to deal with the issue. They may find ways to practically help. Improve the situation. There are important ramifications that come from people preferring different coping methods. These insights can help explain what happened between you and your wife. Firstly, when you prefer one coping method, it can be difficult to be aware of a coping method that is different from your own. You're so tuned in to having someone talk to you and having that cathartic release that you don't realize that your wife may be functioning on a different type of method. Even a very thoughtful and sensitive person may not know how to emotionally support you through a crisis since your way of coping may not come naturally to that person who's your loved one. She doesn't have the tools, or she doesn't come from the school of thought of dealing with the problem the way you deal with it. You deal with it more emotionally, and your wife obviously deals with it more pragmatically. When you crave the opportunity to express your emotional pain to your wife during this difficult ordeal in this corona crisis, it was very frustrating that that she did not pay attention to your emotional needs. Please understand that your wife may have had the best intentions to support you during this time. Yet her preferred coping style may have prevented her from realizing what you needed most. She didn't cope with trauma and problems like you do. She did not know that you wanted her to reach out to you and ask you about how you were feeling, since that is not the way that she copes in issues like this. Secondly, your wife may not have supported you emotionally because it was the opposite of what she needed to cope with in your shared crisis. When your father was sick, your wife was experiencing her own trauma Having a father-in-law that is extremely ill, a husband who is distraught, and the widespread threat of the coronavirus in the background were probably very difficult for her. Of course, it is not the same as the stress that you experienced by having your father in the hospital. At the same time, it did did take a toll on your wife. It seems that she was predisposed towards translating her stress into pragmatic, helpful actions, instead of sitting and talking it out with you. She tended toward that approach so naturally that it was hard for her to even imagine that you had a very different need that you felt that you were left out. 
Your wife wasn't able to sense what you needed. When she was so stressed out herself, it was very hard for her to determine that and to understand your expectations. So what do you do? Well, here's the answer. Once you understand that you and your wife were approaching it from a different perspective, it's important to have an open and forthright conversation with her. Let her know your needs. Let her know what's troubling you. Open up to her. The most important gift that you can give your wife now is to be sincere and explain to her that your needs, what your needs are and what they still are. In your conversations with your wife, you don't need to focus on how your approaches and needs are different from each other. Rather, explain what you need from her and why it's important to you. This way she'll try to meet those needs and you'll feel less, less pained about it. Try not to see it as a deficiency that should not come to your help. In your complex and difficult situation, you both had different approaches. Simply that. The more that you explain to your wife what both of you need and how different you are, the closer you will feel to each other. So that's important. That we all have different ways of coping. We all have different ways of dealing with a stressful time period such as now with Corona. Again, smaller differences and even harmful disagreements can be managed when we create a connection. Because connection comes from being there emotionally and physically for each other. When a disagreement is brewing, remember that marriage is an agreement to validate each other and allow your spouse to depend on you. Understanding, caring, accepting, and being supportive of each other is part of being connected in a marriage. Each spouse commits to give the other a feeling of security and comfort by attributing a positive intent to all that the other person does. Controlling their actions and reactions and expressing anger in a careful, less hurtful, less negative manner. Each spouse should be able to reach out to the other, confident that they'll be there, supportive of their. So make sure that you let them know, uh, honey, I'm there for you. I'm, I, want, I want to help you in every way possible. Tell me what's bothering you. Tell me what I can do for you. A knee-jerk reaction when faced with a disagreement is to fight. Take flight, etc. A fight reaction includes screaming back, hurting or attacking. With flight, one either physically leaves, mentally tunes out, or turns to blocking things that, like, like, like drinking or drugs. Individuals in a fixing mode think, I can't tolerate the tension of arguing, so I'll do whatever I have to do to fix it. One of these reactions stem from a mature place. They are either accompanied by frustration and resentment. Be aware that partners act in response to each other. For example, the angrier one person becomes, the more the other person withdraws. So watch your anger. And then the more the other person withdraws, the angrier the first partner becomes, causing a vicious cycle. So don't withdraw. And watch the anger. Watch the temper. Couples must remember that their goal is to remain connected. To do this, each partner must control their first instinct to fight or run away. And work out the best path to resolve a calm, cooperative, and communicative relationship. Everyone should examine their disagreements to determine if the issue that we're discussing or disagreeing is really the crux of the argument or whether they feel attacked or wounded and therefore unconnected. Couples must be willing to work together, realizing that neither one is always right or always wrong. Couples must compromise, although you can't ask a spouse to compromise all the time on everything. Try to see the other person's point of view without needing to win every argument because you can win many fights and you can lose the war. You can lose your spouse. No one wants to be overruled all the time. The answer to who's right is, who cares who's right? For the sake of the marriage and the relationship, each person must understand that who is right or wrong is not important. If one person says, this does not work for me, 
then adjustments have to be made. A technique to help you determine whether you are right or wrong about what you are saying or doing is to ask yourself, how would I react if my child said this or did that? Each person must hear and validate what the other person is saying. Validation does not mean you have to agree, but you have to nod and say, I hear you. And it does mean that your opinion is heard, respected, and processed. Even when you disagree, discuss issues as equals and respect the other person's point of view without making remarks that are demeaning or as if you're making fun of your partner. What does a woman need and what does a man need? Let's understand each other's needs so that we can make the best and the most happiest environment in our homes in this time period. Here are a woman's needs. So men, listen up. She needs the attention of someone who cares about her. She needs the help of someone who wants to take care of her needs. She needs time when she's not considering what everyone else wants, but when someone is considering her wishes. She needs someone who understands what she likes and makes a plan so that she doesn't even have to think. She needs someone to anticipate her needs, her wants and wishes, and to offer to help without her having to ask. She needs someone to notice her, love her, and adore her. She needs someone to miss her and desire her. She needs to love freely and trust that she will be loved in return. She needs someone who cares about her well-being to understand what she is going through and recognize the validity of her feelings. What she's going through is MS. She needs someone she can confide in who is trustworthy and will not turn on her or break her confidence by revealing her secrets. She needs someone who regards her as a special person. She needs someone to help her in life so that she doesn't feel she's doing it all by herself. She needs someone to feel passionately intimate with. And let's hear the other side. To the ladies, here are a man's wishes. Here are a man's needs. He needs someone who notices his efforts and appreciates what he does. And that he's making every effort to provide for the family in this most trying financial time. He needs someone to share what he has accomplished. So he nod and agree to when he says that he's learned and has finished a certain amount of learning or accomplished a certain project at work. He needs someone to give him the opportunity to fulfill her needs. He needs someone to accept him just the way he is. He needs someone to bring out to bring him out of himself. He needs someone to trust him and depend on him for what he can provide. He needs someone to inspire him to be the best person he can be. He needs someone who likes him very much. He needs someone who is pleased with him and responds to him and compliments him. He needs someone who is receptive to his plans and suggestions. He needs someone who admires him for what he has done or tried to do. He needs someone who will forgive his mistakes. He needs someone who appreciates and acknowledges his best qualities like patience, strength, generosity, kindness, dedication, loyalty, assertiveness, compassion, courage, wisdom, humor, and playfulness. Some of the important qualities we want to be demonstrating in this time period while we're all living together in the home. Accessibility means can I reach you? Despite your own emotional feeling of disconnection, you must be able to step back and hear her or his concerns and fears. Responsiveness is number two. Can I rely on you to respond to me emotionally? Can you tune in and show me that my attachment needs and fears mean something to you? And lastly, engagement. Will you stay emotionally connected to me? Some people will be, seem to be tuning out. Will you value me with the kind of attention that one expects from a loved one? Some people won't compromise because they feel hurt by the spouse's suggestion. Example, Ira and Linda lived near Linda's parents, who visited the couple every day. Finally, Ira told Linda that he didn't want the parents to visit more than twice a week. Linda was taken aback and felt there was no way she could tell this to her parents. She refused to discuss the issue at all, 
Although she could have floated the idea of going by herself to her parents' house more often. So they would not feel the need to come every day. Eventually, she walked out of the marriage. This is a one-sided situation. What makes a happy marriage is not how compatible you are, but how you deal, both of you, with incompatibility. Let me repeat that point. This is the key to greatness, ladies and gentlemen. What makes a happy marriage is not how compatible you are, but how you deal with incompatibility. Couples deal with their differences in different ways. Some couples talk out their differences, while others argue a lot. In some marriages, a couple who's upset will take a time out. She might go and just listen to some music, and he might take a walk until they calm down enough to deal with their differences. During a time out, a wise couple can put their differences in perspective, realizing that the problem is small compared to the big marriage that they're enjoying. As long as the style of arguing both works for both husband and wife, ultimately they'll come to an agreement, and that is fine. Just as you require a strategy when you go to war, you need to find the proper strategy for your marriage to run smoothly. As we said from the story, understand that each one copes differently. Some cope more pragmatically, and some people cope more emotionally. People must learn to have a smart marriage. Learn what turns on and turns off the partner. If one approach does not work, you need to continue to get innovative and try another. Love and care will often work better than fighting. Rather than arguing and attempting to talk to your spouse out of their opinion, acknowledge their viewpoint. I agree, I I, I hear you, even though we may disagree. But listen and nod. When appropriate, hug him or her or stroke their face. If your spouse shows warm concern when you're stressed or worried, even he or she is the cause of that worry, you'll feel you're not alone. Most of the time, the issues in an argument are not important in and of themselves. Their significance lies in the emotional distress they evoke, including feeling exploited, misunderstood, unloved, disrespected. These feelings cause frustration and resentment because people need their spouse's respect. People don't like having their spouse dispute what they say. And that is why one should be particular not to contradict the spouse, especially this day and age in front of the children. Don't contradict them, even if you know that it's not right what they're saying. Certainly don't embarrass them at the dining room table. Don't embarrass them in the kitchen. Don't embarrass your spouse, not even if there's no one in the room, because no one likes to be contradicted or made to be felt wrong. Some people find it especially difficult if their spouse questions or disagrees with them. Many disagreements can be resolved easily using common sense and logic. If a wife wants her husband to take out, take her out once in a while, a calm discussion might encourage the husband to think, okay, what's the big deal? If it makes you happy, I'll do it. Be there and make it a team thing. Be all there for the team. Okay. Instead of being so hard about it, choose your battles. Decide what's really important to you and therefore worth fighting over. Compromise. If a wife wants something, yeah, try to work it out. If you want something four times, and give it to her twice. But try to compromise. Tell her I understand. Okay, maybe we can work out a compromise. And that's what's most important. Now, I want to close with an incredible story. Because our children are around us in many homes as we sit in quarantine. The devastating effects of fighting and lack of shalom bias can have catastrophic results on children. Let me share an incredible story with you. Alan's story. First, I have no intention of speaking badly about my parents. They had no negative intentions, God forbid. Just the opposite. They taught us good values and they gave us love. They just did not understand how much their fighting hurt us. I was a good boy and smart as well. My teachers always said I had tremendous potential that I did not actualize. But I was also very sensitive. My reactions were extreme and totally disproportional. I felt like murdering anyone who insulted me in the slightest. 
As a young boy, I was already reacting with uncontrollable anger. I was capable of throwing tables and chairs. When I would calm down, I'd feel as if black liquid toxin was flowing through my veins. And when I was small, I would faint. Today, I'm certain that it was all because of my parents' bad relationship and the arguing and fighting that went on in the home. My parents would argue. The strife escalated to verbal abuse and curses. Strangely, they would fight terribly about the most inconsequential things. The fights were not about staying out late with friends or the like. The fights were about, why isn't my button sewn? Why isn't the salt in the right place? Their inner emotions would burst out all over the smallest things, frustrating us children to no end. And then they would suddenly act loving to one another, and that would confuse us children even more. As a child, I needed psychological therapy for six years. Because of my parents' fighting, I could not adjust well in many social situations. When children see their parents fighting, it saddens them and ruins their joy in life. They lose their sibcha sakhaim completely. That's how I define it, Alan says. We are a number of siblings and we all needed therapy. On the one hand, we had to deal with the fighting, which tore us apart. On the other hand, we had a warm home with a lot of special attention and good education. All my brothers and sisters are good people. My parents were also good people, respectable and honest, except for the fighting, which soured our lives. In order for the people to understand how our house worked, I got to tell you more. Money was not lacking in my home, to put it mildly. My father could have bought our entire neighborhood with the money he had in one pocket. We would go on vacations to hotels, and that's 50 years ago, when few families could afford expensive vacations in hotels. At that time, it was the privilege only of wealthy people alone. When my mother would see a lot for sale, while they were driving in the car, she would say to my dad, get out of the car and buy me that lot. He had money in his pocket to buy real estate. All the money magically disappeared. It was entirely unclear how and where the money went. Because my father did not go out with other women, did not gamble, did not smoke or do anything like that. I'm absolutely sure that the money disappeared because of their lack of shalom bias and their marital strife, which made our lives dysfunctional. For a long time, due to my parents' relationship and to all the fighting, I was sure that all women were bad. As a child, you see things out of proportion. You project what you see onto your situations. The tension of growing up in such a home influences your entire life and your entire future, your school, your work, your marriage, and how you raise your own children. Amazingly, As much as I abhorred my father's conduct, the way he expressed himself in his anger, I found myself acting exactly the same way. Even after therapy, whatever is imprinted on your soul as a child is so strong that it overcomes everything else. When the child grows up, he acts like his parent, even though he doesn't want to. When my father's anger would get out of control, I saw that it gave him enormous power. That's the feeling when you get upset, you feel like you can pick up a car and throw it at someone. That you can hit and kill the whole world. Only after you calm down do you understand that you were acting pitiful when you lost control. I'm telling all this to everyone for the good of others. Perhaps we can prevent other people from suffering like I did. After all, the most important thing to everyone is their children. Nobody wants to hurt their own children. Unfortunately though, there's no guidance today for parents. You have children and in the meantime they suffer. Each child is born a great soul. The only thing that can ruin a child is his parents' bad relationship and constant fighting and turmoil. Even a difficult external environment doesn't ruin a child if he comes from a good home. He can handle the bad street, but if he comes home to a warm, loving home, it'll help him. After all this, it's important for me to say that I love my parents. I would never want to exchange them for any other pair. All they wanted for us was to be happy. That is what was most confusing. If parents are only bad or only good, at least it's clear. My parents are bad or good. I know what I'm dealing with. Yet when they go from one extreme to the other, on one hand they're so good and loving, 
And on the other hand, they fight and turn into monsters. It destroys the child. Clearly, if our parents had fought and also been bad and stingy people, it would have been even worse and we would not have been able to pick ourselves up. But the reality is that even though they were good and showered us with love and abundance, the fighting and anger between them still destroyed us. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to be so careful these days how we talk as we're in more enclosed environments in this corona era. Imagine you're submerged out on the right between both burning hot water and ice cold water. That's how my home was, completely not normal. One minute there was tremendous love, hugs and attention. The next second it was all destroyed. When my parents would fight, they wouldn't stop until something drastic would happen to one of the children. That was from the very beginning until today. Just that today it's not as strong. But until we were older, that's how it was. Sadness and futility would overwhelm us. On the one hand, you're supposed to love your mother and father. Yet on the other, you have to protect your mother from your father's wrath and vice versa. It was insane. All this cost me my health and at the age of 27... Tragically, I was hospitalized with a heart attack. Treatments cost me a load of money. It all stemmed from my childhood in a home with parents at war with each other and a lack of shalom bias. Every parent who reads Alan's shocking testimony must be sobered by the awesome responsibility for their children's well-being. If marital strife would only mean that their life and the life of their wife would be ruined, that would be terrible enough. But much worse off are the helpless souls of the children who depend on their parents for a proper and healthy upbringing. So therefore, I want to close and tell tell everyone how important it is that we have a golden opportunity to shine in this time period. An opportunity to really ascend and become fantastic and really, you know, reach our potential. We have to watch ourselves, control ourselves, review, 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 and review again tonight's share for the wonderful go-to and helpful advice that we can all use to benefit and become great spouses to each other. Have a wonderful week in Shabbat Tov. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.